and uh, take it. Otherwise, I'll be lonely up at the front here. Thank you, thank you. All right. Uh, well, my name's Brad. I am part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And it's our privilege and pleasure to welcome you here uh, as we celebrate Advent together, which is just a uh, Advent meaning arrival, where we prepare ourselves and prepare our hearts uh, for the arrival or the birth to celebrate the birth of Christ. And uh, I was looking through some photos this last week of Christmases gone by, and I was trying to think and remember stuff that I put on my Christmas list in years past. So do you remember anything you really, 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 really wanted for Christmas? Stick your hand up, shout it out. What's something you put on a list at some point you really wanted for Christmas? Kevin. Nintendo. Nintendo. Oh, yeah. What else? That was last year, yeah, the Switch. <laughs> what else did you put on, Walter? Telescope. A telescope, okay. Sheila, what did you put on your list? Okay, shoes, yeah, special shoes, not just any shoes. What else, what, el what else did you put on your Christmas list at some point? Yeah, right, remember the Christmas story movie, but what kind of Red Rider BB gun? The official Red Rider 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass and the stock and the thing that tells time. But you'll shoot your eye out. That's right, exactly. Carbine action Red Rider BB gun. Well, if you can remember some of the things you had on your Christmas list as a kid, I look back on some of them now and think, really? I put that on my list, like I actually asked someone to physically go out to a store and buy that for me, why did I do that? I remember uh, maybe, I was maybe 10 years old and I put on my Christmas list a Hulk Hogan action figure. <laughs> I seem, I may seem like a rational adult now, but for a time as a kid, I liked wrestling. I thought it was cool. And the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation, WrestleMania, primetime wrestling, Saturday night, main event. I mean, I was all in on this stuff for a very short period of time in my childhood. And Hulk Hogan was the undisputed champion. And so I wanted a Hulk Hogan. Uh, my parents <laughs> on my list called it a Hulk Hogan doll. I said, it's not a doll, it's an action figurine just so we're clear. But Hulk Hogan was the undisputed champion, except for that time in 1987 when Randy Macho Man Savage defeated Hulk Hogan in King of the Ring and was for a short period of time the intercontinental heavyweight champion. I mean, these were my heroes. I begin now to question some of my life choices at that season of time. But I can remember, I can remember actually where I was sitting when I heard a commentator on the match with one of those long silver TV microphones that they used in the 80s say, Randy Savage was perhaps the greatest wrestler of all time because he brought, quote, a higher level of credibility to the title through his amazing in-ring performances. 
performances? I thought to myself, wait a minute. My 10-year-old world was coming apart at the seams. This was a performance? I mean, you mean to tell me that all of the elbow dropping and the chair smashing and the head locking and all of these moves was just a, a performance? It was acting? My mind was replaying things that I had watched on TV and I was coming to the grips with the, the strange reality that my heroes were just actors in a scripted drama. <sighs> Can I hear an amen, sadly? They were not, as I had cherished in my heart, athletes in a competition. They were actors in a drama. Well, that's it, I was done. I did not watch WrestleMania after that. I took Hulk off my Christmas list and I went away a little wiser about the world that Christmas. And I don't think I willingly watched another wrestling match ever since. Well, our theme this season at Jericho is talking about hope, hope for the holidays. And one of the things that we wrestle with and we're talking about when we talk about hope uh, is our sense of expectancy about what's real, what shapes the world for us as humans. And one of the things that we should ask ourselves about the Christmas experience is, is all of that stuff that the kids sang about real? I mean, some of it sounds a little bit far-fetched. A virgin conceiving, giving birth to the divine, angelic visitations and visions, a celestial event that guides mystics from the east on a journey thousands of miles to the place of Bethlehem, choirs of angelic hosts breaking into the night sky over Palestine. I mean, is this stuff real? Or is it just some kind of literary choreography designed to offer us hope? as just a giant metaphor for light breaking into darkness. And so it's a legitimate question to pause and ask, is the story of Christmas just a story? Or is there something more to it? Is the story of Christmas just like a WWF event where upon closer inspection, one might say, huh, that didn't actually happen. But wow, was it great entertainment. It made for a great storyline, but where was the substance? Well, let's explore that option for a few moments this morning. If you have your Bibles or uh, your phones, you can open the Jericho app and there's a Bible in there. Uh, head to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. And Luke chapter 2 is, contains one of the most well-known accounts of the birth of Jesus. But it's weird, if you think about any other story, to just jump in and read a random chapter of a story without kind of understanding a little bit more about the author and about what the author's intention, background, and authority is to write on a given subject. And so that comes to us in Luke chapter 1. We learn a little bit more about 
the human being named Luke who wrote this story down. And in Luke chapter 1, uh, reading in verse 1, says this. This is like the prologue or the introduction to Luke's gospel. Many people have set out to write accounts of the events that have been fulfilled among us, and they use the eyewitness reports circulated amongst us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. We know from historical scholarship that Luke, the author, was a medical doctor in the first century. So Luke's not given to storytelling, poetry, or fabrication. He isn't an actor or a director or a movie producer. He's a man of science, a medical professional. He's been trained to examine facts and chase them down to the logical conclusions that they would lead him to. And so he writes and tells us that the reason for the account that he's about to give is, first of all, but it's driven by eyewitness accounts. So this is not a fabrication. And then secondly, it's written down to help engender belief in the credibility of this story. And many people throughout history have followed Luke's journey and down the same pathway and asked the question, is this stuff real? What can we know about Jesus and his birth? In the last century, uh, a highly regarded scholar and professor at Oxford and Cambridge University named Clive Stapleton began his own spiritual journey. And at age 17, he wrote to a longtime friend and said this, I believe in no religion. There is absolutely no proof for any of them. And from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best one. But as he went through his life, he couldn't shake the suspicion that something about the story of Christianity was really real. And he went on a journey of investigation. He chased down the scholarly literature on it. And he, that was his intellectual investigation. But he also went on an experiential journey that led him through many places, led him through atheism and agnosticism, led him for a brief time into dabbling in uh, the occult. And it led him through history and literature and science. And then in the middle of his life, he wrote back to this same friend his conclusion. And he said, I have concluded that Christianity is God expressing himself through what we call real things, namely the actual incarnation of Jesus, the actual crucifixion, resurrection. This is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis went on as a scholar uh, and as an author to write extensively about his experiences in the Christian faith and also his skepticism and how he wrestled with those things. And he wrote, I became quite a, a student uh, and a professor of literature, and he developed a category within literature. He says, we have to make a distinction between stories and 
what he called true myth. So stories are things that are fairy tales. They're make-believe, the stories. They're, it's play-acting. It's WrestleMania. <laughs> it's Aesop's fables. It's good drama or literature, and there's a long tradition and history of that. But, Lewis said, we have to also then make a distinction and a category for transcendent historical events, things that happened in history that still speak to us across time. And he called those things true myths. After chasing down all of these roads, Lewis came to the conclusion that what's recorded in the Christmas story in Luke's gospel is more than just a story. Listen to what he says when he was asked, well, isn't the Bible just good literature? And he says this, the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth that works on us in the same way as the others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. See, we can watch cute kids turn the Christmas story into, uh, and think to ourselves, oh, that's so cute, and turn the Christmas story into nothing more than uh, nostalgia or mythology, a well-crafted narrative that's a morality tale to give us hope when we're feeling a bit hopeless. But that would be to do to the Christmas story what the Christmas story is not prepared for us to do to it or not prepared to allow. Christmas is, in Lewis's words, God expressing God's self in real things. It may have some of the similar qualities to it as a story does, but with one tremendous difference that it actually happened. Sometimes when we think about story, one of the things that can be helpful is for us to try and become wrapped up in the story and try and place ourselves into the shoes of the participants of that first Christmas. So let's watch this lyric video from a song by Nicole Nordeman. The song is entitled Real. Frozen statues in the cold, washed in moonlight, blue and gold. Mary's babe in plastic cave, quiet wonder on her face. Mary, you look so serene, far too pretty, much too. think we know you well but what stories would you tell of all the death and dust and shame every burning lake 
Don't turn me into memory or myth. Let me be real, and I'll show you what it means to love like this. To be Shepherds bending to the ground, Bethlehem is safe and sound. Joseph, you look brave and true, but do we know what it was like to be you? How many sleepless nights awake found you desperate and Don't turn me into memory or myth. Let me be real, and I'll show you what it means to love like this. To love like you don't even care about the hurry and the hustle. Like you are unaware December comes with so much trouble. can be easy for us when we look at a nativity scene that's pretty sanitized to just gloss over those elements. But Lewis reminds us that one of the things that we have to reckon with is, did this really happen? Making the distinction between story and what Lewis calls uh, true myths. Also, I think we need to distinguish in our conversation about hope uh, between wishing 
and hoping. Because sometimes when we use the language of hope, what we actually mean is we're wishing for something or we wish something to be true. And when it comes to Christmas in particular, it can be very easy to confuse wishing and hoping because we'll say things like, oh, I wish that that present is going to be under the tree or I hope that I'll get that whatever it is, Lego set or those shoes or a Hulk Hogan doll or whatever it might be. And so when we use the language of I hope that this will happen, we're not using hope in the way that the Bible uses hope. The Bible uses a very specific type of language to describe hope. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, uh, the image that Scripture uses comes to us from the world of uh, nautical world or boating to describe hope. And it says this in Hebrews 6, God has given us his promise, therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is strong. It is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And so when the Bible uses the language of hope, it's using that anchored kind of language. That This is something that in the storms of life helps us remain in place because when you get weighed down with guilt from your past, when you get anxious about challenges that you face in the present, when you get uncertain about the future, Christian hope isn't just wishful thinking that oh, I hope something will change for me. Christian hope has a depth and a substance to it because if we're wishing for something, that means that it may or may not happen. But if we are hoping that something is true, in the language of Hebrews 6, if hope is strong and trustworthy, then we have active confidence in it and in the future realities of God's promises. So we can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us because the hope that God provides is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I love the way that Eugene Peterson in his book, Living the Message, Daily Help for Living the God-Centered Life, puts it. He makes this distinction between wishing and hoping. He says, wishing grows out of our egos. Hope grows out of our faith. Hope is oriented toward what God is doing. Wishing is oriented toward what we are doing. Wishing is our will projected into the future, and hope is God's will coming out of the future. If you picture it in your mind, wishing is a line that comes out of me with an arrow pointing to the future, and hoping is a line that comes out of God from the future with an arrow pointing toward me. That's hope. And that is the message of Christmas, a message that declares that a baby born some 2,000 years ago ushered in hope in a way that only God can. Hope that's come into the lives of countless millions of people down through recorded history 
and has touched the lives of so many people in this room uh, today. And so the question that I want to ask you today is about the source of hope then. What is the source of your hope? Do you have hope? Do you struggle when you think about hope? When you think about the future, what does that do in your mind and in your heart? See, my parents and our family journey uh, was such that my parents went through the most of their lives believing in a kind of cosmic accounting. And uh, they meant by that that God, if God existed, was a good record keeper sitting up in heaven and he was keeping track of good behavior. God was, in their words, making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. And if you were a good enough person, obviously that meant you made the nice list and you were good to go. You didn't have to worry about stuff. But in my parents' journey, they became, began to be haunted with the question, how do I know that I'm good enough? I mean, how do I know, what confidence do I have that I'm good enough? Or more pointedly, the question they really wrestled with is, what if being a good, decent, moral person isn't enough? Or isn't the point? See, as we look around us in the world, we can see many, many people being good, decent, moral individuals on their own. But then I'm left wishing and hoping that my good deeds are somehow enough to tip the balance of the scale and get me into God's good graces. And I don't know about you, but that feels a little risky to me. I know myself, <laughs> and, and I know my heart, and I know the things that trip me up, and the hurts and the habits that I have, and the hurts I've caused other people. And that kind of non-substantiated, I wish that it's just good enough, doesn't feel substantive enough for me to place my hope in the writer of another uh, book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians, was a man by the name of Paul. And if you read some of the things that Paul did, it's real clear that in, if there was a ledger system, he was on the wrong side of the accounts. He uh, grew up a very religious person, but actively hostile towards people of faith. And in fact, he persecuted anyone that called themselves Christians. He prided himself in being a little bit of a vigilante and he'd go around and he'd figure out who in the first century uh, were Christians and he'd arrest them, he'd throw them in jail, he'd persecute them. Uh, some of them were killed under his watch. And so Paul was real clear that there was no way that if it was up to good behavior, he was gonna get anywhere with God. And somewhere along his journey, God intervened. And he writes this in the book of Ephesians, and it's somewhat autobiographical. He says, once you were far away from God. You lived in this world without God and without hope. See, being a good person or being even a religious person and hoping that that's good enough simply 
isn't good enough because there's more to the story than that. That strategy is like groping around in the darkness and hoping against hope that you will get what you're looking for. And Jesus himself made a very clear, unambiguous statement about why he was born into human history. He said, I've, I've come with a very specific purpose. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, I've come into the world to give people hope. I have come as a light, Jesus said, to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. See, friends, that is incredibly good news. We don't have to fumble around wishing that somehow I have some kind of assurance that God loves me. Hope's not something that you have to muster up or create. Hope is not a line from you coming out into the future thinking, I wish, I wish, I wish that this is going to be good enough. Hope Christian hope is a line that comes out from God with an arrow pointing directly to you and to me. And in John chapter 10, Jesus uh, is asked a very pointed question. The inquirer says, so you promised and say you've come into the world to give people hope and you run around claiming that you're the son of God. Is that true? And if that's true, what are you asking of me? And Jesus replied to the inquirer with a story about sheep and a shepherd. And the sheep is a story about us and our lives. And Jesus said, I am like the shepherd, a good, kind, loving shepherd. And Jesus talked to this person about how sheep love to try and find their own pathways, but oftentimes they get lost and they stumble through the darkness. And then Jesus responded to this person's inquire and he said, I, I want you to know I have a purpose that I have come for. And this purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life to people. I am, Jesus said, the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his own life for the sheep. See, Jesus uses this story as a way of helping people access a deeper truth about the world. Jesus says, Christmas is about God coming into the world to open up a way for you to have a rich and satisfying life. And, and yet it's not a just a I wish that that could be true kind of life. Jesus says, I'm going to do this in the most unusual and surprising and unexpected way. I'm going to do this through sacrificial love. Jesus was born to show us a better way to be human. And he willingly gave up his life so that you and I could find our way home to God. So that we could have hope not only for the future, but also in the present life. And the response that Jesus invited people to in his day is a response that's still open to you and I. And it's simple, but it's 
it's difficult at the same time, and it's very profound because it challenges the things that are most dear to us, that being things like self-sufficiency and pride. Because what Jesus showed us was that we can stop striving and grasping and wishing that maybe, maybe, maybe we could be good enough to become part of God's family. Jesus simply said, I invite you to respond by acknowledging that that's not the pathway that gets you to the destination. That's not what Christmas is about, just a nice morality tale to help us be better people. That's why Christmas is more than a story because it actually happened. And the invitation that comes out of that then that God gives us is not to try harder to do better, but simply to rest in what he's done and to believe and to receive. In John chapter one, John says this, but to those that believe and accept him, God is going to give you a gift. He gives you the right and the privilege to become a child of God, to call God, Father, Parent. See, hope means that you don't have to go through your life as an unloved orphan. God's deepest desire is that you would become part of God's family. And oftentimes in the season of Advent, we use the the images of darkness and light to help us understand this. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, picks up on that in the same way and says, I pray, and this is also my prayer for you, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that God has given to those that he has called. His holy people, his family who are rich and glorious in the inheritance that they are receiving and will receive from God. I pray that your heart would be flooded with light. Maybe you're listening and you think to yourself, I don't know, Brad, about this, but something about this is captivating and I need to know more. I need to chase this down a little bit more. Maybe something for you is ringing true about Jesus and who he is and what he came to do and what he continues to do in a fresh and compelling way. And if that's you today, I'd say don't leave without continuing to process that with us. In a few minutes, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of faith where you can just express that to God and say, I'm not 100% sure about a lot of things about this, but I'm, I want to press in more in that way. And maybe for you, that's going to be a moment of decision where you say, I actually am going to become today convinced that Jesus is who he said he is and that this is more than a story. Maybe for you today, you're here and you say, this is all a little bit much to take in and I'm not quite ready for a decision of that magnitude. I got questions, I got a thousand objections that come into my mind when I think about that. 
And I want you to know that uh, we've talked a few times this season already at Jericho that Jericho is a place where we welcome you to explore those questions with us. That's part of the conversation here at Jericho. Uh, and one of the things and tools that you might find interesting is we have a book at the Welcome Center called Why Christmas? And it just walks through some of the questions and maybe objections that you have in more detail. And we would love for you to pick one up and take that with you. And then I would love to follow up with you and we could have a coffee and you could say, here's my list of questions. Let's just start talking about some of these things. And I would say that we'd love to do that with you. There would be no question that's too weird or that's off limits. So let's start a conversation because our deepest desire here at Jericho is that you would come to know God in a personal way and you would experience God's love through Christian community. Megan and the team are going to come and lead us in three songs of response. And maybe for you, you say, you know what, Brad, I've been around church for a while. I've been a person who calls myself a Christian for a long time. So none of this is particularly new to me in any way. But sometimes when we become so familiar with it, it does actually begin to again reduce itself into the category of, oh, it's just a story. It doesn't ring true at the deeper level. And so maybe for you, just in these times and songs of worship, you just need to say, God, again, I need to your reminder, your gentle reminder that you're real, that you're at work, that you're continuing to touch and bring my heart to life in fresh and new ways. Maybe for you, one of the things that would be uh, a step that you could take is to be bold with that. Maybe for you, you need to invite someone to come and join us or join you at Christmas Eve. And so we have all the tools necessary for you to do that on social media. And then if you want to uh, come and join us, just introducing ourselves to our neighbors this week and inviting them to come and join us at Christmas Eve. We want to take a posture of invitation and just say, come and see, come and experience what it is that God is doing and this just may be for you the year where the story of Christmas becomes in a fresh way more than just a story. Would you bow your head with me? And I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer and we'll respond in worship. God, I'm grateful that you're so kind and gentle with us. You're so generous and so good. And when we drift, when we move to places of being completely overwhelmed or apathetic or into those places where we just say, I don't know, this just feels like a bunch of, I'm going through the motions. Yet again, you've, because you are real, have the ability to touch and warm our hearts through the work and power of the Holy Spirit. So God, would you do that in this place today, in our lives today? And God, I want to pray also uh, for those who have yet to make that decision, but who want to. And in the language of uh, John, 
It's believing and receiving. And so if that's you today, you would just say to God something like, God, I believe. I want you to help me with my unbelief, but I believe. And I want to receive the gift that you offer to me, the gift of life and relationship, life rich and satisfying and free. And so if that's you, I want you to just open your heart to that today. We have uh, teams every week that are available uh, to pray with you at the back, and we'd love to continue on that journey with you and give you a Bible, and you can take that and begin to read and explore some of Jesus' life and story. And so Megan and the team are going to uh, lead us in a time of responding in worship. Here at Jericho, our practice is you're free to sit, to stand, to kneel. Our prayer teams that are available at the back, if you've come and you want to celebrate something and say this is something that God is doing in his goodness in my life, we'd love to celebrate with you. If there's something that you came with today that's heavy on your heart and you say this is just my uh, greatest concern at this point of time, maybe it's a family member or an area of illness, we'd love to pray with you. And so you can look for someone with a name tag available at the back as Megan and the team lead us. So feel free if you'd like to stand uh, as you're able, and Megan and the team will lead us in three songs of responding to God. <laughs>